Amen and amen. How are we this morning? Good. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. All right. We should be done by about 1245, so you guys hang. I'm just playing. I'm going to read Mark chapter 9 to you, beginning in verse 33, and we're going to go to 40. And there's, there's really th- three things that I, I want to unpack with you this morning in the uh, amount of time we have left together. So hear this, verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, this is the disciples, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Beginning in verse 38, and John said to him, It's interesting that the conversation shifts like this. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So there's three keys here that I want us to look at together. I'm going to pray for us. I want you to hear these three keys. First thing, Jesus asks a question, all right? I want you to log that in your mind. Jesus asks a question. Jesus redefines greatness. The disciples continue to kind of be dumb, and then Jesus just kind of reroutes their whole lives. In this moment, the disciples kind of keep doing their thing, right? If you followed, if you tracked with the story, you say, TJ, that's a little harsh. Those are the disciples. Yeah, they continue to just do stupid stuff, right? Because they're human, and so they're walking down the road and begin to argue about who's the greatest. But the three things, Jesus asks a question, he redefines greatness, and we're called to live last. And I'm going to unpack these very quickly, and I want you to, to, to grab a hold of this and, 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 and to really grab a hold of this. Jesus asks a question, he redefines greatness, and he calls us to live last. Let's pray. Father, this morning... God, we've had such a special time. Uh, Parents standing, holding their children, committing to raise them in the admonition of the Lord. God, the prayers they prayed over them, the verses they selected for them. God, definitely honor you, but it sets their sons and daughters up to win. Sets their daughters and sons up to know who their king is and who their Lord is and who their heavenly father is. And God, I thank you for letting me be a part of that and witness that and be a part of a church who values children, much like you do. And so, God, I pray as we look into the text today, we would be reminded that you're the greatest of all time, that there's none like you, there's never been any like you, and there will never be any like you. You are infinitely better than anything that we could experience on this planet. So, Jesus, I just pray you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that you have for us. God, that is not just a bunch of words that we recite to you weekly. God, that's the cry of our heart. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts in the precious, precious name of Jesus. And everybody together said, amen. We are, um, we are going to move through this rather quickly, so hang 
with me. I want you to see what's going on in the text. The disciples have been with Jesus. They have spent time with Jesus, and they've been able to do some pretty cool stuff. They've been able to, to, to cast out some demons. They've been able to heal some people. They've been able to, to be a part of this miraculous multiplication where there was a couple, you know, some fish and some bread, and then all of a sudden 5,000 people were at a buffet. You know what I'm saying? I mean, really, really cool stuff has gone on in the presence of Jesus. But the disciples find themselves in this same rhythm of being human. And that's what I want you to hear this morning, that it's okay that you're human. It's okay that you're not perfect, because this is where the disciples were. They began to walk along the journey with Jesus and look at each other and say, who's the greatest? Like, I mean, you could see James or John or one of them or Peter saying, hey, you remember that guy? Like, I just pointed at him and he, he came back to life. Yeah, but man, I was holding the fish and loaves when they started multiplying. Yeah, but Jesus gave me the basket for it. You can kind of see this spirit of competition begin to just kind of rise up in the hearts of the disciples. And as I was looking at the text, I'm thinking, man, you're, you're with Jesus. You're hanging out with the greatest of all time. And the debate really begins to be who among us is the greatest. And it's not the first time that conversation has had been had. See, the heart of that conversation began a long time ago in the garden, and even before the garden. See, Lucifer was in heaven. He was created by God. And there was a day that that debate began to take place in his heart and his mind. He looked at the throne of God and thought, mm, I could do that. Who's the greatest here? Who's really the greatest? Well, I don't know if you know much about Scripture, but that didn't last very long for Lucifer, right? The Bible says that he felt like lightning. God was having none of it. And God established even in the beginning of time who the greatest of all time was. But the disciples began to have this conversation with each other. And I, I see this conversation played out every single day in our lives. I say, TJ, are you sure? Sure. There's this idea of competition, and it, it, it's fueled by our pride. It's fueled by our sin nature. But there's always this idea of who's the best mom, or who's the best dad, or who's the best Christian, or who's the cleanest, or who knows the most scripture. And we even do this in church. You know, kids that know more than other kids, we give them more medals than other kids and more stuff. Like, like we, we, we build people up to think this way. Who's the greatest? Who's the cleanest? Who's the most holy? So it's no mystery that from the beginning of time, being that it was birthed in the mind and heart of Satan, that he began to look at the throne of God and say, God, is God really the greatest? That the disciples in their sin nature, wrestling with their pride, would look at one another and say, who's the greatest? See, we're fueled by a culture that tells us we have to be the fastest, the smartest, the greatest, from the right neighborhood, with the right degrees on the wall. That's what we're told. We're fed that. And we're in this constant cycle of who's the greatest. You say, TJ, that's not true. Okay, then why, do, why is Facebook so successful? Why? Because people get to put their best version of their self out there and they just look and see how many likes they can get, right? Like you can see our sin nature even come to life in social media. It's like, please like my stuff. Pat me on the back. Everybody affirm how awesome I am. But we, we don't actually say that out loud. But that's what we're doing. And in doing that, we begin to categorize sin. See, we, and I know I'm kind of meddling this morning. I'm in your business, but that's okay. When we do that, we, we start having that conversation just like the disciples had. And we walk into a room and we kind of start sizing the room up. 
And many of us do it in many different areas of our lives. I'm guilty of pride often. I'm an idiot quite often. And I find myself wrestling with pride sometimes. And we kind of want to compartmentalize sin and put it in categories and say, well, they did that, so I'm really not as bad as them. Or, or this person's done this before, so are they really worthy to, to, to serve God? Are they really worthy of attention? Are they really worthy of honor? We don't even realize sometimes that we're doing it, but, but our, our culture has just kind of this, been this pile on and pile on of, of judging one another and, and sizing one another up to join the conversation with the disciples. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? And don't, don't get me wrong, it, it, it's something that we all wrestle with. Nobody in this room walks into a party and thinks, man, I hope they all hate me. And there's never been a time you walk into the party and you're like, man, I hope everybody ignores me tonight. No. There's this desire for attention that gets corrupted by the fall. It's easy for us to fall in that same, that, I just call it a cesspool of pride. Begin to have a conversation. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Well, let's end the conversation today. None of us. You say, DJ, you're hurting my self-esteem. No, listen, when we realize that we bring absolutely nothing to the table and Christ brings everything to the table and because we're nothing and he's something and he gives us everything, we become something. I know you're kind of trying to track with that. I'll let you hear it again. We bring nothing to the table. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So there are no good people in the room. We're all pretty stinking bad. All right? We all start out face down at Calvary on our way to hell. In the midst of our nothingness, Christ comes with all of his glory and all of his beauty. He calls us sons and daughters, and all of a sudden he picks us up from the ashes and gives us a new name and a new life and a new future. There is no pride found there. How can we be prideful over something that we didn't build and something we didn't buy and something we didn't earn? We didn't build or buy or earn our Christianity, our salvation. That was a gift given from Christ and Christ alone because you and I were incapable of doing it. Thousands of years, man tried. Thousands of years, man in their pride compartmentalized sin and even had different sacrifices. And over and over through the Old Testament, they would try to gain God's love and try to gain God's affection and his favor. They'd try to follow the rules. And what they found out is that they were always coming up short. And there was a day when God decided that man would stop striving and he would just finish it on the cross. Because of that, you and I have been called sons and daughters. Because of that, you and I have been given value, not so that we can debate over who's the greatest, but so that you and I can reflect his humility to the world and draw broken men and women to the gospel. What would it look like in 2017? What would it look like in our churches, in our families, if our competition was to outdo one another in love? Not, not a conversation of who's the greatest, but a conversation of who can serve the most, who can love the most, who can forgive the most. See, we've been conditioned to compete, and all competition is not bad, but this morning, what would it look like if we endeavored to compete against one another to show love? Oh, you think you love me today? I'm going to love you more tomorrow. What would it look like in our marriages, our relationships, our friendships? Oh, you, you, you forgave me today? Well, I'm going to forgive you more tomorrow. You don't ever hear a conversation like that, do you? You loved me well. You just wait. I'm going to love you better tomorrow. 
See, Jesus redefined greatness. He showed us that it wasn't about position, it wasn't about power. It was about knowing who your father was. And there are ways, there are two things quickly this morning. There's really three things. I want you to jot these down if you're taking notes. If you're not, just remember these. There are three things that I use in my life. I talked about this last week a little bit uh, in some conversation, even wrote about it. But there are three things in my life I use to try to, I believe are from, they're definitely from Scripture, but that I use to try to write the ship in my own life because I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm, I'm very much like the disciples. I can be transparent with you and say that I'm prone to pride at times in my life. I'm prone to sin, right? I'm not perfect. So three things that for me are like guardrails are number one, humility. And there's a, the, right, the exact opposite of pride. You say, well, how do you stay humble? How do you fight for humility? Well, you, I remember the scripture in James chapter four, verse six. He said, God resists the proud and he gives grace, he embraces, it's this picture in scripture of God wrapping up the humble. God, help me to be humble. See, that should become a part of our prayer lives and part of our daily walk. God, teach me to be humble, help me to be humble. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask the Lord who gives to all men. He gives it out. So Lord, give me humility, help me wrestle my pride, God, by the power of your spirit, Lord. Let me put my sin nature, my pride to death. I want to be humble. You say, why in the world would you want to be humble? Well, listen, in being humble, we get to reflect the God of creation to a very prideful world around us. See, Jesus came with all power and all authority, and he allowed his beard to be ripped out, his face to be spit on, and his body, his body to be nailed to a rugged cross, having all the power and all the authority to poke his chest out and have them stop. He surrendered his body so that you and I could have life. When you and I walk in humility and endeavor to be humble, we reflect that to the world. There's humility and there's also honoring others. The Bible actually says this, outdo one another in showing honor. See, we're, we're quick to call people out when they stumble and we're quick to look for people to stumble, <laughs> right? Much like the disciples. Hey, these guys aren't doing it like us. They're not wearing the same clothes. They're not really doing the same thing. So we told them to stop. Jesus is like, what are you doing? If they're for us, they're not against us, bro. Come on. See, because we, we, we live in a culture where we, we haven't been taught to affirm and to praise and to lift up, to encourage. Because we're too busy sizing each other up, wondering who's the greatest. What would it look like if, if a body of believers, uh, relationships, family, peer groups, friends, what if our words were affirming words? What if our words were words that lifted people from the ashes of shame and self-doubt? And what would it look like if we begin to call out in people who they really are, that they're a son or daughter of God, redeemed, set free, beautiful, made new? What would that look like? See, even in our own lives, we, we wrestle with that. It's easy for us to admit our failures sometimes. It's easy, us to, easy to confess how worthless we are and how much of a sinner we are. But I pray for the day that it becomes easy for us to confess that we're sons and daughters of a king, that we have value that we have a hope and a future, that though the enemy meant so many things in our lives for bad, God has made them good by the cross. We have value in Christ. This morning, I, I long for the day that the church's words to one another is not division and separation and fighting, but it is honor and praise and trying to outdo one another in affirmation and hope. I long for that day. 
I'm going to make two more points and we'll let you go. This spirit of pride that was birthed in the mind and heart of Satan, you see it kind of bleed through the generations. Even the disciples are called up in it. See, pride convinces us that position and power are what matters, and if we start to believe that, we find ourselves tackling people wearing the same jersey. I actually heard that from a buddy of mine. His, the director, I believe it's the area director for Young Life, said, we, we got to stop tackling people who are wearing the same jersey. And see, what we, what we find out is sometimes when people don't do church or do life the way that we do life, people aren't just like us, they don't act like us, they don't think like us. Even though they're for us, and they're not against us. We find ourselves tackling each other. And this is what the disciples were doing. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Just tackle this fight for who's the greatest. I dream of the day when we can all just honestly say, God, I am what I am because you've made me this way. I'm lost or I'm found. I'm bound or I'm free. And if you're free this morning, if you've been freed in Christ, there's no pride left. Just one more time, I want to remind you of this. We had no place at the party. No invitation, no reason to be let in. Nothing about us was worthy to get us into the party. Christ has come, died on our behalf, and kicked the door open and set us at the head of the table. Where's the pride in that? What can we bring to God and say, look what I've done for you? Nothing. Look what I did to earn myself? Nothing. When we realize that we are all broken men and women, desperately in need of the great physician, pride begins to dissipate. Then there's no categories for sin. We're either lost or found. And if we're found, we're for one another. So examine your hearts this morning. Are you for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you for affirming your brothers and sisters in Christ and lifting them up with encouragement? Or do you find yourself in prideful conversations tackling people wearing the same jersey? My prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that we would all be face down before the throne, realizing that we are what we are because he has made us this way. He has called us sons and daughters. There's nothing to be prideful about this morning. There's ev- we have everything to celebrate in the cross. Jesus redefined greatness. He asked a question. And he called us to live last. Who's the greatest among you? Jesus is. And he was the greatest servant of all time. The most humble of all time. My question to you as we close is, would you follow suit? Would you endeavor to be the kind of believer that wants to outserve, outlove, outforgive, outhonor the people around you? If we compete at all, let it be a competition of love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel this morning. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we just pray, um, <laughs> God, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, but we've been We've been called sons and daughters. We've been redeemed and set free. There are no categories of sin this morning. There is no category of closeness. You have called us your own. And as we sit at the table, God, I pray that you would just remind us, Lord, that we didn't, 
buy, we didn't earn, we didn't work our way into this position with you. You gave us this place. Because you're the greatest of all time, Lord. We have value and we have purpose. Help us to remember that today. Help us to remember that in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen.